Hi, everybody, and welcome to another online service at Turning Point Church. And I'm so glad that we're able to come to you at least this way. Uh, at least we have a way to get to you with the Word of God and and to minister to you. And I want you to know, once again, uh, Cindy and I and the entire staff, we so miss you. It was great last Saturday in the parking lot as we um, had hundreds of people come through to grab communion elements for the communion Sunday. And, you know, some people drove up and they were in tears, uh, you know, like, wow, you're, you're still here. The church is still here. It's so good to see you in person. And uh, we felt exactly the same way. So we were able to kind of linger and chat with some of them. And, and it was just a, a, a real good touch point. And, uh, you know, folks, we're going to make it. And it's not going to be too long before I believe we're going to be able to announce to you uh, a feasible reopen date. Now, I'm not saying it's next week. I'm saying we're going to be able to make the announcement of, of a feasible time. So stay tuned for that. And I'm so glad that you're staying with us, going through the Word of God with us on Wednesday nights. I've so enjoyed this series in Hebrews. And boy, we're in a great chapter uh, this time because we're in chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, God's Hall of Faith Heroes. And um, so I'm just calling this tonight the heroes of the faith. And um, I want to just kind of drop back a little bit and recap a little bit from last time. And so I want you to grab your Bible. Grab your Bible, open it up, Hebrews chapter 11, and I want you to follow along with me, get something to write with. You know, notes never forget. Our mind forgets, but notes never forget. And tonight we're going to be covering some things that I know you're going to use no doubt, by tomorrow morning, it's going to it's something you're going to be able to pull out of your pocket and um, say, I, I remember what I heard last night about faith and how we're to walk as believers. So grab something to write with. If you've got a Bible that is too holy to write in, it's too holy. Get a Bible that you can write in or get some little journal, something to take notes in and, and take some notes uh, tonight. Now, last time we closed out the first 12 verses of Hebrews 11 by observing how faith manifested itself in the lives of some of faith's heroes. Um, For instance, Abel's faith illustrated faith's worship. When he brought his sacrifice, it was a sacrifice of worship. Enoch illustrated faith's walk. He walked with God and was not, for God took him. Noah's faith Uh, exemplified obedience. God said, build an ark, and he spent over a century building it in incredible obedience. Abraham's faith exemplified trust, how he trusted God to walk away from everything he had ever known and just start walking. And it says he didn't know where he was going, but he walked anyway. He so trusted the character of God. And then there was Sarah's faith, which represented and exemplified the quickening power of faith, the quickening power. Both Abraham and Sarah experienced a miracle, a quickening miracle. And and really, Isaac was a miracle child. Now, next, you will note that beginning in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, uh, and going through verse 16, the writer is going to take a break. He kind of puts on the brakes. And instead of giving examples of more saints who walked in incredible faith, he comments on the nature of their faith. Uh, the nature of their faith. And, and let's look at it. Starting in verse 13, the writer says that they died without having received 
all the promises. Now, I'm so thankful that the writer here is telling us the truth about faith, that we don't always get immediately what we're believing for. Um, He's going to go into some things we really need to understand. So look at verse 13 with me, and you're going to see that he says that these saints he has so far mentioned died without having received all the promises. Yet with their eye of faith, they trustingly focused on the distant horizon. So let's read verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, let me quote Chuck Swindoll here. He writes of verse 13, At this point, the writer of Hebrews sets aside the palette of paints he had been using to fill his canvas with examples of faith. He steps back, as it were, gestures at the procession of personalities he's been painting. And that would include Abel, Enoch, Noah, and particularly Abraham and Sarah. And he makes a sweeping statement. All these, he says, died in faith without receiving the promises God made to them. But wait, didn't Abraham make it to the promised land? Didn't Sarah have her promised child, Isaac? Yes, but what they experienced in this life was merely a foretaste, a shadow of things to come. Abraham didn't receive the full promise, just a down payment. Abraham and Sarah had only one child, and yet God's promise to them was for descendants as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. But they didn't see that. The land in which he sojourned was indeed the promised land. But he and Sarah Sarah and Isaac and all their household lived there as strangers and exiles on the earth. End quote. Now we see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, which contains what we call the Abrahamic covenant, we see that the covenant God made with Abraham had promised that he would be made into a great nation. And the promise went further. His name would be great. And it went even further that through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now, Abraham understood this last part of the promise uh, about all the families of the earth being blessed uh, was a veiled reference to the coming Messiah. No doubt about it. How in the world would all the families of the earth be blessed through Abraham's descendants, but through his ultimate descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the tribe of Judah. Through him, all the earth would be blessed. He would come, God promised, through Abraham's descendants. But Abraham didn't see that come to pass in his lifetime. He died not having received or experienced or personally seen that promise come to pass. And last but not least, Abraham had died looking forward to the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And this, of course, was speaking of heaven. Now, thus, when he and Sarah died, most of these things that had been promised to them had not yet been fulfilled. Think about that. They died in faith, not having received most of the promises. Yet look at how Abraham's faith manifested itself. This is so powerful. Watch this. 
but having seen them, that is having seen the promises and seen through the eye of faith, the fulfillment of those promises from afar off, that is talking about time, from afar off, because these things would be fulfilled way many, many centuries later. So they saw them from afar off, but they, and they were assured of them, embraced them, and that word embrace can also mean welcome them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. So Abraham, though he died in faith, not having received most of the promises, and so did Sarah, and the other um, saints that have been mentioned thus far in Hebrews 11, they died in faith, and they, they so knew that even though they did not experience them personally yet, that they were going to be fulfilled with time, they greeted them. They said hello to them. They welcomed them. They embraced them. That's so powerful. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. And faith sees things that the natural eyes can't see. Faith anticipates things that the natural cannot anticipate. And so they, they said, hello, they greeted them, and they died knowing that one day everything that God had promised them was going to be brought to pass. So look at the next verses, starting at verse 14. Read with me. For those who say such things, who, who greet the promises from afar and say that there are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, and they had come out, if you'll remember, of Ur of the Chaldees, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have gone back to Ur, but that was not in Abraham's heart. Verse 16, but now they desire a better. There's that word better that exemplifies the whole book of Hebrews. Now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. So what is it telling us that Abraham died, Sarah died, Enoch went to be in glory, uh, Noah died, those that have heretofore been mentioned, they all died. And what were they doing? They were saying, I'm a stranger on this earth. My faith sees another land, another city, another country, another place, not made by human hands. The builder and the maker of it is God. My faith is reaching for the place called heaven. And that's how they died. Now, going back to the beginning of verse 13, I want to just pose a question. Why did so many of the promises remain unfulfilled when Abraham and the other Old Testament saints died? Why did so many of the promises remain unfulfilled? Well, the last two verses of this chapter, chapter 11, give us the answer. I'm going to read it. Look at verse 39 and verse 40, the last two verses of chapter 11. Let's read them. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Now look at verse 40. God having provided something better. There's that word again, better. Something better for who? For us. Who's the us? New Testament believers. God having provided something better for us who live in the new covenant, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Now this is powerful. What is the better thing 
that God provided for us in the new covenant, without which the Old Testament saints could not be made perfect. Well, that's easy. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, Yeshua, the one who came to die for our sins and rise from the dead. They could not be made perfect apart from the new covenant in which you and I now live. Now, to just explain this a little bit more, let's, let's go a little deeper into Old Testament theology. Follow carefully with me because we're going to get into some, some steak right now. This is, this is T-bone steak. This is deeper theology. The Bible teaches that until the coming of Christ, when the Old Testament saints died, they didn't go to heaven. They went to a place called Hades, sometimes otherwise called paradise. Jesus taught that Hades was divided into two sectors, two huge compartments, if you will, one for the righteous and the other for the lost. In Luke's gospel, Jesus told the story of a rich man and uh, his servant named Lazarus. And in the story that Jesus told, both died. The rich man and Lazarus died. And the rich man went to the bad side of Hades, while Lazarus went to the good side or to paradise. And listen to what Jesus said. Luke 16, verse 23. Turn your Bibles there. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And go to chapter 16 of Luke. And let's start reading at verse 23. And we're going to read through verse 26. Luke 16, verses 23 through 26. This is Jesus telling the story about Hades and the rich man and Lazarus. And being in torments in Hades, he, that is the rich man, lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off. And Lazarus, his former servant, was resting in Abraham's bosom. Then the rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. I got to stop right here and, and just say, people who say there is no hell, that there is no eternal place of damnation, that um, there's no such thing, God would never do that. Well, here we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, clearly telling us about a place called hell, about a place called Hades that is in two compartments, in one of them, it's a place of torment. And in the other place, it is a place of blessing. Abraham's bosom, it's also called. And here is Jesus giving a graphic picture of a man who is in Hades in the bad part. And he's, he's in torment. All he wants is a drop of water placed on his tongue. And I have to just stop here and say, folks, the most important question we can ever answer in our life is, do I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Because here the Son of the living God is telling us there is a place called Hades. It is a place of torment. And, and in that place, it is one of the dreams of the people that are there to just get a little bit of water on their tongue. But look what the answer is. Abraham said, 
Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Now listen to what he says about this place called Hades, because this this uh, points right to our Hebrew text. He goes on to say, this is Abraham speaking. Jesus is telling the story, but he's putting these words in Abraham's mouth. Verse 26, besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Those who want to come to you, rich man, cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. So there is a great gulf that is fixed between the two places. And those who are in the good part, Abraham's bosom, paradise, they can't travel over and comfort those in the bad place. And those who are in the bad place cannot travel over and go to the good place. In other words, wherever you go when you die, that's where you stay. So here we have clearly described for us the two sectors of Hades. One is a place of torment, torment, and the other is paradise, Abraham's bosom, the good side of Hades. Now, here's how this matters regarding our text in Hebrews. Between the time when Jesus died on the cross, and rose again, something powerful happened. Jesus said, it is finished. Joseph of Arimathea took his body down, put him in a borrowed tomb, rolled the stone over it. And for three days and nights, Jesus Christ's body lay there dead. But where did his spirit go? Where did his spirit go? Because he had already said to the father on the cross, into thy hands, I commit my spirit So his body went into the tomb, but not his spirit. His spirit was busy. Listen to what the Bible says. Between the time when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the Bible says he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. Write it down, take a note, and look it up for yourself. So look at what this is telling us. This is Paul the Apostle writing this to the Ephesians. Where did Jesus go between his death and resurrection? Where did his spirit go? Well, Jesus went to the good part of Hades. Not the bad part, the good part. And I'm about to read you a verse that shows that he went there and he preached to all the saints that had died in faith and were awaiting his finished work of redemption. Abraham and Sarah were there, as were all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Habakkuk, Nahum, Micah, you name it. They were all there. King David was there. And all the rest of the Old Testament saints who had died in faith, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. One of the promises was the coming of Messiah, who would die for the sins of men and wash all their sins away by his precious, sinless, spotless blood. Listen to Peter's words. 1 Peter 3, chapter, or verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Let's read Peter's words. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also, listen to what it says now, he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. That's telling us that when Jesus died on the cross, his body went into the tomb, but his spirit went down to Hades, to the good part of Hades, and he preached to the spirits in prison. He preached to those who had died in faith, awaiting his arrival to earth, his death, burial, and resurrection, so that they could be made perfect. And until then, they could not be made perfect without Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 4, Peter writes again, For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So those saints, ladies and gentlemen, dear church, listen to this, this is powerful. Those saints that had waited for centuries and centuries and centuries more in paradise, rejoice to hear of the Lord's finished work. He went there and declared his victory to them, preached to them that the cross was finished. His sacrifice was complete. It was done. Redemption was a done deal. And because apart from that, they couldn't be made perfect. But now they're rejoicing in paradise because Jesus Christ went and preached to them. And that's one of the things he did while his body lay in that tomb. The Bible goes on to suggest that they were carried by Jesus to heaven following his resurrection. Ephesians 4 verse 8 says, When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity, those in Hades, captive and gave gifts to men. Jesus took them out of the good part of Hades and carried them into glory. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Jeff... What about the bad part of Hades? What about the people that are there like that rich man? Well, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that when the great white throne judgment happens at the end of time, when God is about to wrap everything up and Jesus sits on that awesome throne of judgment, the Bible says that death, watch this, and Hades spew up the dead that are in them. And they are all brought before the judgment of God. So Hades is still completely populated by the souls of people who have died without Christ, died in their sins, died having rejected God's solution. They're there. And they will never come out until the great white throne judgment. And then Hades will spew them up. The sea will also give up the dead that are in it. And so the sea, those that have drowned in the sea, the souls that are in the sea will give up the dead that are in them, that is in it, and death and Hades, the dead that are in them. And they will all come before God and the books will be open and the book of life will be open. And if your name is not found written in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the final hell. That's what the Bible says. Jeff didn't write that. That's what the Bible says. Matthew's gospel records that some of the Old Testament saints literally came out of their graves and walked around Jerusalem following the resurrection of Christ. Matthew chapter 27, verse 51 reads, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, so nobody could say a man did it. 
So it started way at the top and was ripped down by the very hand of God. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves, watch this, were opened and many bodies of the saints. What saints? The Old Testament saints that had been in paradise, that were waiting for the the final work of Christ to be accomplished on the cross. They came out of their grave. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I don't know which ones uh, they were. It might have been Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, who knows. But many of the Old Testament saints that had waited in paradise, their spirits came back into their bodies. They came out of their graves. And as resurrected men and women, they walked around Jerusalem for many days. That is so powerful. Now that Jesus' work of redemption is finished, the Old Testament saints have been made perfect, including Abraham, who died in faith, saying, this, is not, this world is not my home. I'm looking for the city whose builder and maker is God. Well, guess what? He's there now. Jesus took him there. Centuries after he died, Jesus took him there. Now, because of time... Let's just read through some of the mighty acts of faith that God's Hall of Faith heroes engaged in. First, the writer covers the faith of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So look at verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11, and let's just read uh, what some of these uh, saints, these Old Testament saints, accomplished by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. And verse 19 tells us about the incredible faith of Abraham. Look at this. Concluding, Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham had already decided If God allows me to follow through with this and I take the son or the life of my only son, I believe God's going to raise him from the dead because he is the promise of God to me. He is my heir. And through him, all my descendants are going to come and ultimately Messiah. So I believe that God can even raise him from the dead. That's amazing faith. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. This is powerful. When Joseph was dying, uh, he had been there in Egypt all of his adult life. And now the children of Israel were multiplying and Joseph fully believed that his descendants were going to return to the promised land. He was so convinced of it that he gave instructions concerning his bones. When you are delivered from Egypt and go back to the promised land, be sure you take me with you. Powerful faith. Then next, the writer explores the faith of Moses. 
Starting at verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, verse 27, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood when the Passover lamb was put on the lentils of the doorposts. Uh, he, he, by faith, he instructed the children of Israel to apply that blood, believing fully that the death angel would pass over them. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. This is how Moses lived his life, by faith. And it makes me think of God's instruction to you and to me, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Because these Old Testament saints, everything they did by faith, by faith, by faith. And now next, the writer is going to uh, go over some of the mighty miracles wrought by faith. Look at verse 30, chapter 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, verse 31, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And I read recently that when they excavated Jericho and they found the wall that had crashed down, there was one section of wall that inexplicably had not crashed down, but had remained standing. And the Bible tells us that Rahab's house was on the edge of the wall. And God had said, Rahab, if you put out that scarlet thread, which represented the blood of Christ, if you put it out the window and you get all of your family gathered with you in your house, when my people come and I deliver... Uh, them from Jericho and I let them take Jericho and they conquer Jericho and the wall comes crashing down. Rahab, I'm going to spare you. And so there was Rahab with her family hunkered down in their house as the children of Israel surrounded and walked around Jericho and finally blew that trumpet and all the wall came crashing down. But one section did not come down, did not crash was preserved by God, and I believe that was Rahab's house. When everything else came crashing down, her house did not come crashing down because it was founded on a rock, and the rock was her faith in the word of God. And so when it says by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish, there's a story behind that is that is so powerful. And you and me, though the whole world comes crashing down, when your faith is in Christ, he will preserve you. He will keep you. He will watch over you. He will protect you and send his angels to guard you and hold you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What a powerful, powerful statement in Hebrews 11, verse 31 about Rahab. Then verse 32, 
He goes on, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, watch what they did, they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, a reference to Daniel. They quenched the violence of fire, a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword, I believe a reference to to David. Out of weakness they were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, as did the the widow's son. Uh, The widow's son was raised to life by Elijah. She received her dead, brought back to life again. And you can almost hear the writer saying, nothing, and I mean nothing, is impossible to him who believes. You know, we ought to thank God for that because this is an incredible catalog of the great miracles wrought by faith. But you know what? As the chapter winds to a close, he's really going to shift gears here. And we come to another group of faith walkers. And I want you to pay real close attention because people that teach on faith never go to this part of Hebrews 11. Because we don't like this part of Hebrews 11. But for me, it is an incredible testimony of the power of faith. These saints of God that he's about to mention did not receive miracle deliverances or healings or breakthroughs. These faith walkers endured suffering and death by faith. They endured by faith, the hardest of times. Starting at verse 35, Hebrews 11, look at it with me. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. That means being beaten, being whipped like Jesus was whipped. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder or sawn in two. And I believe that's talking about Isaiah. They were tempted, were slain with the sword, as was James. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. That's got to be talking about David when he was running from Saul and also the hundreds of God's prophets during the days of Jezebel were hiding in caves to avoid martyrdom. Verse 39, and all of these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. Now listen, when it says they received a good testimony through faith, it's telling us that God looked at them and not only testified about them, but he testified to them. He let them know that their faith had honored him. Now, I want you to take note that many of the people that teach on faith in our day would have looked at these people tortured, mocked, scourged, chained, imprisoned, sawn in half, literally, tempted, killed with swords, destitute, no place to lay their head, afflicted, tormented, wandering in deserts 
and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Many people that teach on faith in these days would look at them and say, well, they didn't have good faith. Because if they had good faith, they wouldn't be in those situations. And that's where I want us to understand tonight, that's not true. Faith does not guarantee comfort. Faith does not guarantee good times. Faith does not guarantee ease in Zion. Faith does not guarantee abundance. It does not. And that's why this part of Hebrews 11 is so important. Because it lets us know that you can walk by faith and have some really tough, hard, harsh experiences. And God amened their faith as much as he amened the faith of those that had great miracles and great breakthroughs. The bottom line here is this. It takes just as much faith, if not more, to endure hardship and even martyrdom as it does to receive a miracle deliverance. The truth is that sometimes God delivers us out of a trial, like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel out of the lion's den, and the three Hebrew children out of the burning fiery oven. We love reading those stories. We love it, and we teach them and preach them way more than we do this latter part of Hebrews 11. Sometimes God does do that, delivers us out. But we also need to understand that sometimes he delivers us in it. He delivers us through it, just like he did these precious people of whom the world was not worthy. And they went to the same heaven the first group did and got the same rewards the first group did. See, some of you are going through a really tough time now. And maybe you've heard a message that if you had really good faith, you wouldn't be experiencing this. No, 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 no. Listen, God gave you faith. God told Paul the apostle, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul said, therefore, I'm going to rejoice in my troubles and perplexities and distresses and all the things I'm going through uh, for the cause of Christ. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes God allows us to go through some very tough times. A couple of days ago, I, I rode my bike like I do several times a week. And the wind was really blowing. And I went about 20 miles, and the first 10 miles, that wind was against me. And I remember thinking, man, this is really hard. I mean, going against this wind, it was probably a 15, 20-mile-an-hour wind. It was just a really strong wind, and I was going straight into it. And it made for hard pedaling, but here's what I knew. I knew that even though I didn't like it as much as going with the wind, I knew that it was going against that wind and that resistance that was going to make my legs stronger. And if I never wanted to develop muscles, then I would always find a way to go with the wind where I was being carried and not having to press in or press through. But no, that's not what I want. I want both. And so what I do when I go to ride my bike, I always figure out which way is the wind blowing and I choose to go against it on my first half so that when I come back, I'm going with it because I want that first half to work me and I want to use my best strength on that first half. Listen, God allows us to go through the tough times uh, where we're not delivered out, 
But we're having to believe God. Get into the word. Like this coronavirus trial we're all experiencing right now. I don't like these headwinds. I don't like not being able to meet with you. I don't like uh, not being able to come in here and, and, and see our sanctuary full of people and worship God with you. I don't like it. I don't like what this is making me experience, but I do know it's driven me into the word. It's driven me into prayer and it's gotten me in some ways closer to my congregation than I ever was before. And I know the day is going to come when we're going to flow with the wind for a change. But until then, our faith muscles are getting stronger. And that's what I want you to understand regarding this second half of Hebrews chapter 11. God will allow us to go through faith muscle working times that will develop us in a way that going with the wind would never do. Either way, every believer in Christ Jesus is called to walk by faith and not by sight in good times and bad, easy times and hard. And so praise God. Thank God for this beautiful chapter in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And guess what? Next time we're going to be in chapter 12 and it's so rich. Listen carefully. You don't want to miss this because we're going to be looking at the race of faith and God's discipline and how God disciplines his children. And it's going to be an encouragement to you, not a discouragement. It's going to help you to understand what you're experiencing right now. And so thank you for being with us tonight. I've so loved bringing the word of God to you as always. Read chapter 11 yourself. Let it feed you. Let it speak to you. And read that second half and say, you know what? If they could go through what they did, I can go through what I'm going through right now. We love you. Cindy and I both love you. The staff loves you. And I know you love one another. Our prayers are with you. And we're going to get through this, folks, and we're going to come out on the other side. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for he is with us. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these precious people of God, the congregation of Turning Point, and anyone else that has tuned in to listen and go through this chapter with us. Lord, I pray for your peace on the people. I pray for your strength. I pray that, Lord, you will provide for them. I pray that you will open, listen, if a door is shut, Lord, I pray you'll open a window. Be their provider, be their comforter, be their strength, and help all of us, Lord, to experience our faith being developed, the faith muscles getting stronger. And thank you, Lord, for carrying us safely to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you until next time.